Amen. Listen, have a seat where you are today if you're here with us. Those of you joining us from home or in your car today, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, it's good to see you too. Those of you who are joining us online because you woke up this morning and realized that it's actually 1050 and not 950, good morning to you too. Springing forward, man. At least we sprang forward on a nice sunny day. <laughs> that sunshine really does help things a little bit. Listen, I'm glad to see each and every one of you this morning. We're going to continue on with our Matters of the Heart series from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Pastor Jeremy gave me the opportunity to speak as part of this series while they are getting some little R&R, which is much deserved, and I am happy to do so. We actually will wrap this series up next week and then get ready to get into our Easter series because Easter is here. And I was talking to someone um, recently this week. We're talking about this year and about, you know, how much has happened and that Resurrection Sunday just has a whole different sound to it this year because there's a, a resurrection that is taking place in so many so many situations in so many places. And so it is just going to be really good Easter Sunday. Amen? And so I hope that we're already getting excited for that. But listen, we're going to dig straight into the Word today. I want to read actually and back up to the very first few verses from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Let's pray really quickly this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, as we just dig into your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us. That you would just park your presence right here and your word would be illuminated to us and that you would teach us. And let us hear and receive from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to dig in today in Matthew chapter 7. Um, Matthew chapter 7, you know they have those little headings, you know, that go over the little sections in your Bible. that kind of like give you a little preview of what it's going to be about. And this is about judgment, prayer, and the narrow gate. Cool. <laughs> Um, people are hard and prayer isn't always easy. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> right? <laughs> people are hard. <laughs> I am difficult. I'm aware of it. Some of you don't laugh too loud. My husband is just looking down and taking notes and not even looking up. I know I can be difficult. I acknowledge it. Some of you can be difficult too. That's okay. People are hard. And people that we don't know. I don't know sometimes whether people we don't know are more difficult or the people we do know are more difficult. It could go either way. But people are difficult and prayer is not always easy. Now one of the, the, the matriarchs of our church, Miss Betty Levitt, she prayed like nobody I'd ever seen. And that whole um, verse where it says prayer without ceasing, she did that. She would talk to you and in mid-sentence be praying sometimes about stuff you wish she didn't pray about. Like she would pray against snow days because she didn't want us to have snow. And we'd be like, Miss Betty, please don't pray for that. Please, please, we would like a couple inches. No, no, I'm going to pray against it. Oh, please, Miss Betty. <laughs> but she just prayed without ceasing. It was just a part of her vocabulary. It was a part of her communication. That in sentences with her, you would feel like you probably needed to stop. Oh, we're praying. We're praying right now. 
It was such a comfortable aspect of her life that prayer was intertwined. But prayer, for me, a lot of times feels hard. I feel like I got to do all these things to set the mood, right, to pray. I got to get myself not distracted to pray. Sometimes prayer can be difficult. And we know that people are difficult. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is this great little section in Matthew where Jesus just, he really teaches. And what is so interesting about the Sermon on the Mount is that it has pretty quickly, in our modern era, become a Facebook like and share series of posts. You know, Facebook like and shares are the Christian version of fortune cookies. They're sweet. They pop up. We look at them. We like them. And then we promptly move on. Right? But so many verses from the Sermon on the Mount really have become our little catchphrases and buzzwords and clips and sound bites, right? But they weren't meant to be that way. See, this said Jesus looked out at the crowd. He sat down and he began to teach them. Now, when you're a teacher, which I've been for a long time, and you know there's a test coming up, and you're talking to your class, and you get to a point that you know is going to be on the test, you will say, this is going to be on the test. And some of them will look at you, and they will not pick up their pencil. And then you will look at them, and you will say, this is going to be on the test. And nothing. Right? And so you repeat it over and over and over again. This is going to be on the test. And in Jesus' message on the Sermon on the Mount, he says so many things that were not new ideas. They had been said over and over again throughout Scripture, and they would continue to be said over and over again because guess what? They're on the test. And he was teaching us. And so we have to realize and remember that these things are guiding principles for our life, not just sound bites. Not just point, click, like, and share. In fact, these elements that we read about in the Sermon on the Mount are collective and symbiotic. Did I say that word? Somebody signed to you nod. Thank you, Kaylee said it. Symbiotic. Right? It means interdependent upon each other. You know, the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed and all Scripture is useful. And these things right here, they're interdependent on each other. You cannot cherry-pick Jesus' words. They're all important. And they are all dependent on each other. And you can't do this thing and then not this thing and think it's all going to work out. There's an interdependence that takes place with the Word of God and the things He teaches. I can't study for a test by only studying the parts of the chapter that I like. There are certain parts that I like that are easier for me than others. But I get tested on them all. So I need to realize how important they all are. So we're going to get into today into Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start with verses 1 through 5. We're going to look at three specific things. Judgment, prayer, and the narrow gate. And how they are all symbiotic together. And I'm going to step on my own toes and hurt my own feelings today. So if I hurt yours, hey, I'm mad at me too. Okay? 
And if I don't hurt your feelings, then that's good. You're doing a lot better than me today. Verses 1 through 5 from chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. How many of you know what an armchair quarterback is? It's called ESPN. It's people who don't play the sport, but know how it's supposed to be played. It's people who cannot do it, but know how you should do it. And armchair quarterbacks make a living being armchair quarterbacks, right? They do not stand there with millions of people watching them under pressure with 400-pound men running at them and throw a ball with laser accuracy, but they will tell you how that guy should have done it. If that is happening to me, I'm running the other direction. I'll be lucky to get myself tripped over my own feet, let alone get a ball down the field anywhere kind of accuracy, right? But that term armchair quarterback, it comes from people telling other people, well, what you should have done, well, if you had just done this, right? We have a whole world full of people that are armchair quarterbacks in everybody else's life. I told you I was going to hurt my feelings. I'm really good at giving out advice. Red or blue? Blue. I will give you advice. But let me tell you something, so many times it is easy for us, and if you are not careful, we will find ourselves being armchair quarterbacks in somebody else's life when we were never invited to be on the team. You aren't on the team. You don't live in my house. You don't live in my situation. Help me if you can, but please don't sit back on the back outskirts of my life critiquing and looking at what I've done and say, oh, but this is what you should have done. You weren't there. The Bible did not call you to be the armchair quarterback for my life. I know, it's not funny. Because I'm smart and I know. I know so many things. If you would just ask me, you know? I mean, listen, if Patrick Mahomes would have only consulted me, things could have been different. Right? I mean, really. If he only could have watched the game after it had happened... Welcome to people's lives. The Bible says, do not judge because you will be judged by the same measure. We're all guilty of misjudgment and we have all suffered from people's misjudgments. We're all guilty of misjudging people and their intentions and their actions. And we all know that we're guilty of that because we all at one point or another suffered from someone's misjudgment of us. I know that people have misjudged me and I have misjudged people. So we know that that is a part of life and, and it happens. But there's a reoccurring theme in scripture and this is one that we oftentimes justify away, that judgment of other people. But the Bible clearly says just don't do it. But boy, do we justify our judgment. I don't know, somehow, 
we've become too much like ESP and commentators being on the outskirts of people's lives. Well, we're just commentating. And let me tell you something. Your opinion is judgment. And check it where it is. Because you see how it says that you're looking at the plank in your, in your brother's eye and not noticing the speck. But then actually, if you take the, sp- the plank out of your eye, you realize what's in your brother's eye is only a speck. If you have something in your eye, it completely distorts the way everything else looks. If you are blinded, you don't know where you're going and what you're walking into. Have you ever tried to help somebody else when you can't see what you're doing? Me, early in the morning, trying to help my children with anything. I like spilling the milk, trying to pour it because I can't see because my eyes aren't awake yet, right? When we can't see, it's easy to misjudge. So we've got to start by getting the plank out of our own eye. It's so much fun, but we got to fix ourselves before we worry about fixing anybody else. And the other key part of this is it says right here, it says, you will be able, once you can see clearly, then you will be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Your brother's eye. Your brother's eye. Don't touch my eye if you ain't my brother. Don't come step into my space if you aren't my brother. You haven't earned that right. I haven't earned that right in your life. I cannot step into someone else's house and tell them what to do if I have not been invited in. Then I'm just a trespasser. We cannot trespass on other people's lives. But if I take care and I clean out my own self, then my brother, my sister, my person who I am with, I have the opportunity to help remove what's in their eye when the time comes. Because see, my child, I can clean up my child's stuff. But it's different when it's not my child. If you have changed a diaper or cleaned up throw up, you know what I'm talking about. It's different. But if it's my brother and I love you and I care about you, then I am tender with you and I am careful with you and I take care of you because I don't want to wound you. And so I love you enough to gently and carefully remove what's in your eye. But if I don't have relationship with you, all I'm doing is damaging you. And all I'm doing is armchair quarterbacking. It's so much fun. It's all about prosperity today. No, it's not. It's about the symbiotic relationship that says you can't have one without the other. Today we have to know we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. And we need to check ourselves before we wreck anybody else with our judgment. Don't do it, the Bible says. Don't do it. Verse 6. Now this verse is interesting. Because it kind of almost seems like it could contradict. We just read this whole little section about don't judge people, right? And then it says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That seems almost contradictory and as though we are creating an exclusiveness, right? You can't give this good stuff to pigs and dogs. Well, here is the thing. A dog has no way to know the value of a pearl. And neither does a pig. 
they don't they don't they can't see the value of it right it's like a little kid who gets a hold of a, a piece of jewelry they don't know the difference between an expensive piece of jewelry and their play jewelry they're not capable of it so something has to happen in them first and we're out here and we're throwing out truth bombs and we're out here throwing out judgment and we're just expecting people to look at it and be like, that's a pearl, pick it up. They, they can't see that yet. That's not where they are. Something has to happen in them first. But you know what? Pearls were never meant to be thrown. They were meant to be worn. And when you wear, when you wear the truth of Jesus Christ as part of who you are, you don't use it as a weapon. The truth of Jesus Christ wasn't meant to be thrown at people. So when you just wear it, people recognize it. When you throw it, it's trash. And it's just something that's getting in the way. We cannot give to people what they are not ready to receive. Something has to happen in them first before they can see the value of it. So refer to verses 1 through 5. Let there be no judgment. Let God do the work. And when you are their brother, man, what a privilege it is to be able to walk side by side with someone and help them take the dust out of their eye so that they can see Jesus clearly. What a privilege that that is. Not something given to a mass audience, but something that's given to a brother who you trust and who you love and who you know values you. That's a special relationship. Okay, we'll move on. I'm telling you, I read this and I began to think of all the misjudgments that I've made against people. I began to think of all the times that I've looked at people's situations and said, well, if they just hadn't done that. And they may not even have known that I was passing judgment on them. But I was. We're all guilty of it. We're all human. And so we have to own it. The more we own it, the less power it has over us when we see it for what it is. See our judgments and our misjudgments of people for what they are, sin, and put them away. So that when we have the chance, we can show people who Jesus really is. Super quiet in here. Is it super quiet at your house? Maybe not because you're at home, but it's super quiet in here. Let's move on to prayer. <laughs> prayer. Verse 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. See, this is so much nicer. Yes, let's talk about getting good things. <laughs> Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Same things I say to my kids when we're trying to find something. Did you ask? Have you looked? Did you look again and open the door in the room? Ask, seek, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven have good gifts to give those who ask him? Now this is one of those things, remember I said about a symbiotic relationship? They are dependent upon each other. We really love that first part about ask, seek, and knock, and it's yours. And so I'm over here looking for my stimulus. And I'm knocking. 
right? And I'm seeking and I'm looking, right? Because the Bible says if I ask, I seek, and I knock, I will find it. Stop, pause, let's just keep with that, right? Because that's the good part. But it's, it's all together, right? Because then it says that God gives good gifts. And would you give your child a stone if they asked for bread? And would you give them a fish? Would you give them a snake if they asked for a fish? See, these things go together. We can ask and we can seek and we can knock. And we can want and want and want. But God knows what we need, we need, we need. So I'm out here banging on the door. And really what I'm asking for is rocks. And Jesus said, you need some bread. So we have to know that when we ask for something, God gives it. But he gives us what we need. I can't have one without the other. I can ask God all day for a million dollars. But that may not be what I need. In fact, I probably know I don't because I'm not very good with money. So if you give it to me, it'll be gone real quick. But we'll all have a nice lunch. (laughs) I'll be like, meet me up at Tulum. Everybody's got tacos on me, right? If the Lord wants to give me a million dollars, he should probably give it to somebody else to hold for me, right? I can ask and I can seek and I can knock and I can want things, but God knows what I need. And the more that I ask, the more that I seek, the more that I knock, the more that I get in tune with God, with who he is, with his path, then the more times what I'm asking for is actually what I need because I'm learning to line up with that. Those things start to get in line with each other. Because there's been some time where I've been asking, seeking, and knocking for some revenge. I've been asking and seeking and knocking for relationships I didn't need to have. Don't y'all remember those days? Don't look around. (laughs) When you were like, Lord, this is the one I know it. I'm just asking you, Lord, make this work. And the Lord is like, you need some bread. Or more times than not, he's like, honey, you need a fish and this is a snake. We're not going to go there. Oh, how we asked and how we have seeked and how we have knocked on some doors. And the Lord was like, woo, nope. But let's just keep asking and seeking and knocking. And maybe eventually you'll start looking and seeking and knocking for the right thing. And I'll be there to open that door. Because God has good gifts for you. And some of us have lived long enough to know that we've pried open the doors ourselves. And we went in and just took what we thought we needed. And it did not end well. Right? It did not end well. And so we ask, we seek, we knock, and we trust that God is the God who gives us good gifts. We pray. Listen, there are some specific people we've talked about so far this year about we're praying for the prodigals. Praying for the prodigals. I have five specific people I'm praying for. Five specific people. There are others, but there are five specific people that I'm believing God to answer prayer on their behalf this year. To do a shift in somebody. I am asking, I am seeking, and I am knocking heaven's door for them. I am praying. I'm not going to spend any more time this year asking and seeking God for things that are irrelevant to eternity. I spent a lot of my life seeking God about things that weren't relevant to eternity. And now I just need him to do his will because I want people in heaven with me more than I want them to look a certain way or more than I need a certain amount of things. 
I just want to populate heaven with people. And so I'm praying. We got to pray. We got to pray. It's got to become part of who we are. As I began to read about prayer and all I could think about over and over again was Mama Betty and how you could not say anything to her without her instantly praying about it. And I thought how easy it would be for me to instantly pray about things. And so often I don't do it. But prayer, there's a whole section. Jesus took time to teach us and say, Prayer is important, and prayer has power. And now the narrow gate. Oh, I'm sorry, one more verse. Verse 12, the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Verse 12, so in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you're reading the Servant on the Mount, this was Jesus' first closing. And then he was like, wait, I forgot a few things. Let me catch up. We'll get that next week. First closing. This sums it all up. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you know that this principle is found in lots of other faiths as well, right? But do you know that so often it's usually phrased in the negative? Do not do to others what you would not have them do to you. So many times it's phrased in in the negative like that. But it's not telling us what not to do. It's telling us what to do. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Be proactive in your action. If I want people to pray for me, I'm going to pray for others. If I want people to have grace with me, I'm going to have grace with others. This sums up the law, Jesus says. Just do to other people what you would have them do to you. And we can get real fresh about that real quick and be like, well, I want somebody to tell me the truth. Do you, though? Do you? I just wish somebody had told me the truth. Honey, let me find your youth pastor because they're going to be like, I told you the truth. And you got mad and I didn't see you for four more weeks. Right? We have to do unto others. So you know what we do? We just love people. A guy I follow named Carlos Whitaker, he says, you walk with people, we don't stand on issues. We walk with people. Because so many things are solved just by walking with people. So do unto others. And that about sums it up. So every time we start to open our mouth or make a judgment, every time we start to even pray, is what I'm praying, what God would have me pray. I pray that they come to know the love of Jesus Christ. I'm not sitting here, because let me tell you, the five young people that I'm praying for, they got issues. They got some big ones. There's some big things happening. But here's where I'm praying. May the love of Jesus so overwhelm them that even in their current place, may they never be able to doubt the existence of God. God put people who walk into their path, who love them, and show them who you are. I am not praying for God to fix their issues. He can do that. I'm just praying that they will know the love of Jesus and that every opportunity that I have to speak to them, that I am reaffirming to them that I love them and that Jesus loves them and that is what all that matters. I want you in heaven with me. We'll work out the rest later. And that may not be the most politically correct Christian way to say something. 
But I'm telling you, I'm ready to get on my knees and say, oh, we can work it all out. I just want you to know Jesus. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Is he fixes everything. And so if we can just get them to Jesus, he'll fix it. We are entering a time where we have got to stop trying to fix people before they get to Jesus. And we got to realize that we got to cut some holes in the ceiling and just lower our friends to him. You know? They cut a hole in the roof and stuck their friend out of Jesus. They just got him. I just want him to get to Jesus. I just want to get him to Jesus. I just want him to know Jesus. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. Jesus, I want them to get to you. And I got other people who are telling me, you know what they're doing. Have you seen? Have you seen what they're doing? Yes, I've seen what they're doing. I'm so thankful you didn't see what I was doing. Every minute of my day, I'm so thankful you didn't know. Because all you would have done is pass judgment on me. Yes, I see what they're doing. Lord, you see what I am doing. So right now, Lord, I come and I say, I'm asking and I'm seeking and I'm knocking. And I'm taking the sawdust out of my own eyes so that I can see clearly. So that I can pray clearly. So that I can love clearly. So that I can do unto them as I would have them do unto me. And by showing them love, I'm not throwing pearls at them. I'm showing them what it's like to wear the truth and love of Jesus Christ with me. And that changes people's lives. Because the goal is we've got to get them and get ourselves to the narrow gate. Verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter it through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. This road leads to life. Moses said, I set before you today life and death. Choose life. Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. Jesus said, the path to destruction is wide open. The path to life is narrow. Find the narrow path. But remember, this is a collective and symbiotic relationship. When I judge people, it crowds my prayer and my treatment of them. So if I will first and foremost lay down my judgments, then my prayer, my prayer and my treatment of people begins to focus and narrow. Some of us take up a lot of space with our judgment. We fill a room with our opinions. And the Lord wants us to just, I don't know, chill and just take a minute to let our judgments go, let them go, and just begin to pray and do right. Pray and treat others right. Because I cannot have one without the other. And to find the narrow gate, I need to narrow my focus. I need to focus on prayer and love. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. You cannot pray with persistence and follow the golden rule if you're walking in judgment. 
When you pray and follow the golden rule and remove judgment, you narrow your focus and the space that you take up, and it is easier to find your way to the narrow gate because prayer guards your heart, and removing judgment, it guards your heart, and that is the source of everything. And if your heart is full of judgment and hate, if your heart is full of self-seeking attitudes and ideas, then you are not able to see where you're going. I want to find the narrow gate. The Sermon on the Mount is a whole collection of Jesus' teaching to us. We're going to wrap it up next Sunday, the last little part of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's such a treasure trove of Jesus teaching us how to do, how to live. I think there's so many times people are like, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to live life like a Christian? Well, let's open up the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at how Jesus talks about adultery and murder. Let's look at how he examines our hearts towards people. Let's look at how he says that he is the fulfillment of the law. Let's look at all these things that Jesus is teaching us. This is how you live like a Christian. This is what the Christian life is. It's about dying to yourself every day. It's about taking up your cross and doing what's right. It's about choosing to walk down the path that is narrow and sometimes hard to find because that's the path that you're called to go on and not to walk down a path of destruction. But let me tell you something. Many of us are often walking down that path blindly because we're so focused on the planks in other people's eyes that we are not realizing that the specks in our own have blinded us to the path that God has called us to be on. We have fortified our defenses with judgment and our prayer lacks power and persistence. And our love and doing unto others is often real and lackluster. I told you I was hurting my own feelings today. And if I'm not hurting you and your feelings because you're just loving people and doing everything right, then I'm proud for you. Fantastic. I'm hurting my own feelings today. My prayer and love for others can often be lackluster. I can easily be blinded by looking what other people are doing wrong and forgetting that I am walking on the same path they are. I'm walking on the same path to destruction. I'm just doing it on my high horse. You know, the path to destruction is the path to destruction, whether you're dragging yourself on it or whether you're riding down it in a high horse. I'm blinded to see it. I need a collective map to find the path. And Jesus says it starts by removing judgment, loving Jesus, loving others in prayer. Fix ourselves first. Don't throw your pearls. Wear them like they're meant to be worn. The truth of Jesus Christ is beautiful. It is not a weapon. Jesus never once wounded anybody with correction. He just loved them with it. Do right. Teach me Jesus. That is my prayer. Matthew 5, chapter 1. Verses one, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now Jesus saw them, and he went and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. We have so much to learn. So much to learn. And Jesus has so much to teach us. Now listen, I... I Yet last week, Pastor Jeremy made this incredible statement. He said, you know, the kingdom of God is not susceptible to the conditions of this world. It's safe to put your heart there. And it is. 
it is safe to put your heart in the kingdom of God. The question becomes, are we as the people of God representation of a safe kingdom to place your heart? Is it safe to place your heart here? I want my life to be safe for someone to place their heart with me. I want someone to come to me and not feel like I'm going to throw things at them or misjudge them. I'm just going to I want to be that safe place for people. And that's what God calls us to be. So as I've been leading up to this message, and I've known these were my verses in my section for a while, I have not been perfect in it, but I have found so very quickly that the Holy Spirit has been just convicting me on the right and left and over again. Over and over again, he's been convicting me. When I started to think something about a person and their decision, he's been like, they invite you to their team? You've been in training camp? You've been running patterns? You've been in there? Go, sir. Step back. Not your place to do. But you know what it is your place to do? Dear Father, I come before you right now and I pray for my brothers and sisters. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you right now and I repent of every evil word that I have spoken against anyone. Dear Lord, I come before you right now and I repent where I have put myself in a position to think that I had the answers for someone else. God, forgive me where I have passed judgment on those who I do not know their life. It is not my place. I am not God. Forgive me, God, for where I have judged. Lord, forgive me for the times when I have used my faith as a weapon against someone else. It should have been and they should have. God, I repent. So, Father, I come before you today and I ask on, on, on behalf of my brothers and sisters that they would come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I, I seek for you, God, and I find you. And so I pray that they would have the means to seek you so that they would find you. Today, God, I knock on the door of heaven and I say, thank you for letting me in. Help open the door for my friends. God, we seek you and we knock on your door. Father, forgive us. When we have put ourselves in a position above, when you said you have called us to serve. So Lord, today I bleep. <laughs> and I feel all the dust and particles in my eyes. And today with a repentant heart, I ask that my tears of repentance would wipe every plank and distraction and dirt out of my eyes so that I can clearly see the narrow path that you have called me to walk on. It is covered with prayer. It is lit by love, and it is the path that you have called me to walk on. And Lord, help me to not walk it alone, but to bring others with me. I ask of you, God, that you forgive me. I seek your forgiveness. I find your forgiveness and your love. I seek heaven on behalf of those who still need May they come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, not the judgment of his people, but the love of the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.
Yeah. I should have put on my steel toe boots today instead of my flip flops, but the sun was shining. The day we quit having something we could do better is the day we think we've arrived. And I don't plan on arriving until I get to heaven. So for right now, we all on the same path. But here's the thing about a narrow path. If it's well lit, people can find it. You light up that path. You show the beauty on that path. People will find it. Let's not keep it a secret. And let's not jump it up with our judgments. Let's just love people. Well, listen, that was my part. <laughs> for Sermon on the Mount. <laughs>